Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. Well, obviously, we're all hearing about this dreaded disease, the Ebola virus, as well as, of course, the standard things that we have to deal with in our day and age, such as cancer and heart disease, diabetes, the things that are major diseases, major killers. And these things, of course, concern us. They can frighten us. We obviously need to be vigilant. But there are things that we do in light of that in the church. One of those, of course, especially the sacrament of anointing of the sick. All the sacraments, in one way or the other, are healing sacraments. They all involve a reaffirmation of our baptismal promise, which is about dying to the false self, the self that is affected by original sin, and dying to that and rising to our real self, the self that is freedom in the spirit, being whole human beings holy human beings, full of life. God is all about life. He wanted us to live. He never wanted us to die, to become sick, and anything related to that. But because of sin, it happens. But the church is there, as Pope Francis called it, the field hospital. It's a field hospital. It's a place of healing. Well, most of us are familiar, both East and West, with the what might be called the seventh sacrament, or in the Eastern churches, we call it the mysteries, the mystery of the anointing of the sick. And this is a wonderful sacrament, a sacrament that is connected to baptism and also confession. And it is a prelude then to receiving the Eucharist. It is a healing sacrament, as is the Eucharist. But there is another form of anointing that is practiced in the Eastern churches, in particular in those churches that follow the Byzantine rite. And it's called the Minovania. It's an anointing as well, just like with the sacrament of anointing of the sick, and it uses the same substance, olive oil, which is blessed by the priest. It uses prayers, and it also uses the action of anointing the person. Although in the Minovania, Minovania is a, is a word in Church Slavonic, which means basically anointing. Mido or miro, mir comes from the word mir, like ointment. But this particular anointing does not anoint all of the senses. It just anoints the person on the forehead. And it's a very venerable tradition in some of the Eastern churches, especially those who follow the Byzantine rite. It is done on the eve, especially during the evening Vesper service, the eve of a feast day, especially if it's a major feast day. In fact, it's a feast day that calls for what's called litia, or litia, which is another word, it's a Greek word, which means light. It's a feast day that is of special importance, so 
it was usually preceded by an all-night vigil. In fact, all-night vigils were actually more common in the early centuries of the church, and many of them involved also processions. In fact, there were two kinds of these processions in all-night vigil. The one that originated in Jerusalem, where they would process throughout the town, and they would stop at certain points that, of course, were those significant points of the life of Christ, especially his suffering and death and resurrection which, of course, are right there in Jerusalem, those spots. But later, it was this custom of processing during an all-night vigil, and they would carry candles and icons and sing hymns and stop at certain places along the way and do litanies and prayer. That custom was brought to Constantinople, which, of course, was formerly Byzantium, where we get the Byzantine rite, by St. John Chrysostom in the 4th century. Now, what Chrysostom did, though, was he took this custom procession and he gave it a penitential tone. Later on, what happened in the Eastern churches, especially the Byzantine churches, is that these two styles of procession, done at all-night vigils, were then combined into a custom that we know today in the Eastern churches as midovania, in other words, the anointing, and it also includes the blessing and this distribution of the blessed bread. It involves wine as well, but that's usually not given out. It's basically symbolic and also wheat. And what happened was the anointing took place during the all-night vigil. It basically, it happened at the culmination of the all-night vigil. People would actually stay up all night. It was very common. We experience some of that today and things like the vigil for Christmas and Good Friday and Great Friday in the Eastern churches. But staying up all night and observing a vigil prior, especially to a feast day, or even on Sundays— yeah, actually, believe it or not, every Saturday people would do vigils in preparation for Sunday, which celebrates the resurrection. They would do that commonly in the early centuries of the church. They would come to the church and they would stay up all night and they would pray and they would process and then come back to the church. And when the sun rose and it was time to bring about the culmination of all that vigil in the divine liturgy, the Eucharist, prior to that they would be anointed. And this anointing was a reminder of themselves being anointed people, followers of Christ, because, of course, Christ means the anointed one, Christ, chrism, anointing. And it would remind the faithful that they were followers of Christ, but it also was a way of obtaining certain graces through anointing, because the ointment was blessed by the priest. And it was to help to fortify those of faith who were carrying on and observing this all-night vigil. So they would go forth, having celebrated the great feast in its entirety, and go forth and proclaim the good news to the world. So they were being prepared. They were being anointed. Sometimes we use that term today. We say that somebody has been anointed. We usually refer to that in reference to people who we think have been specially called for a particular purpose. So sometimes we'll use the term, oh, they're anointed for that. That's where this comes from. This comes from the ancient custom especially kept alive in the Eastern churches today, of anointing people, especially during vigils for great holy feast days. Along with the anointing, and therefore the blessing of the oil, there was also distribution of bread and a little bit of wine. Now, this goes all the way back to the days of the monastic traditions, when the monks were famous for always staying up all night in prayer. In fact, sometimes they would do it in shifts. They had monasteries that actually were referred to as all-praying monasteries. There would be continuous prayer, as it says in the Scripture, to pray unceasingly, like the angels in heaven, an unceasing, seamless, constant prayer and glorification of God. 
just like the angels in heaven. Well, the monks would do that. In certain monasteries, they would go all through the night, so they would take shifts. Well, throughout the night then, to get them through the night, they would have what I would call a liturgical midnight snack. <laughs> in other words, they had to be fasting because a vigil is also a penitential effort. So the way you prepare, as we've said many times in this program, the way you prepare for a great thing, great feast, a celebration in the Eastern churches, is that you, you prepare by pulling back, by abstaining, by fasting, by penance. So the all-night vigil had a penitential tone to it, which obviously then would have to involve fasting. So they weren't eating. But to get them through the long night of prayer, and let's face it, prayer can be very rigorous. It really is. Prayer is rigorous if you're doing it right. Very engaging. To get them through that night, at a certain point in the night, the priest would bless some oil, some wine, and the bread. Those were the foods that they could use to break the fast, to get through the night. But they couldn't have regular food. They couldn't have a full-blown meal, no matter how hungry they were. It had to be oil, wine, and bread. So they would distribute the bread, have a little bit of wine, and a little bit of oil. Now, later on, this monastic custom was brought to the parishes. And that's an interesting little bit of detail about the development of the prayer, the liturgical prayer in the Eastern churches. The Eastern churches, because monasticism started with them, are very much at home with monastic prayer, with a monastic discipline. And they would incorporate it into the growing, developing liturgical services of the great cathedrals, the great churches, and eventually those went to parishes. So the parishes adopted, eventually, this custom of the all-night vigil with the litia, meaning, again, light. These were prayers of light, because it was in the nighttime, and the idea was that Christ, the true light, comes into the world. So we're praying and glorifying God. We're waiting like the, like the wise virgins instead of the fullest virgins in the gospel. We're waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. So there's a, a vigilance. That's why it's called a vigil. A vigilance, an anticipation. And to get through the night, they would have this bread, wine, and oil. Well, because it was brought to the parishes, and let's face it, parishes aren't exactly like monasteries. They, they can't really be. Monasteries are the, are the ultimate in terms of liturgical observance. That's the very essence of their vocation, is this is prayer and the liturgy of the church. That's why you become a monk. Well, in the parishes, when they adopted some of the monastic prayer, they had to modify it. In the 14th century, this idea of the all-night vigil with the little bit of snack, liturgical snack, the wine, the oil, and the bread, that was modified. And instead of going through the whole night, they would oftentimes just bless the oil, the wine, and the bread at the evening Vesper service. But they added something to that. They added wheat because they wouldn't distribute the bread since it was not an all-night vigil. So in place of that, they replaced it with wheat. In fact, that's why in the prayer to this day, the priest will bless on vigils of holy days in the Byzantine church in the evening, he will bless the wheat, the wine, the oil, and he will actually mention that in the prayer. Bless this wheat, the wine, the oil. So the wheat came in as a substitute for the bread that would have been distributed. So we don't distribute the bread in the evening vesper service. Uh, you can, but it's not as common. Where we do distribute it, however, in most parishes in the Byzantine churches, the Sunday of the week in which the feast occurred, and we distribute it at the Divine Liturgy. So basically what's happening is we're transferring the all-night vigil custom, which was originally in the monasteries, as a little snack to get you through the night after doing penance and fasting. It's transferred to the parishes to Sunday, the Sunday following the feast day, or the feast day could even be on the Sunday itself, and it is blessed and distributed after the Divine Liturgy. 
And that is what we know today in many Byzantine churches, especially of Slavic origin, as the Midovania custom. We're going to talk more about this unique custom of anointing in the Eastern churches when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We're talking about this special anointing unique to the Byzantine churches. And this anointing, in addition to anointing of the sick, is another anointing that carries with it, at the same time, a certain healing dimension. I'm going to read a little bit from a great source I've mentioned on our program many times. It's called the Byzantine Leaflet Series. It's put out by the Byzantine Catholic Seminary Press. You can get it at the Byzantine Seminary Press. And these leaflets are brief explanation, but very interesting, very thorough, very, very adequate and helpful explanations. They're, they're literally leaflets, you know, with the, the fold. Like, let's see, it's got about one, two, three folds in it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a small little pamphlet with three folds. And, and it gives information about many aspects of the Eastern churches. So if you ever want to have some very concise sources to learn more about the Eastern churches, go to Byzantine Seminary Press. Ask for the Byzantine Leaflet Series. Another good source 
small, brief manual source is the Theosis magazine. For that, you can go to ecpubs.com. These are handy hip pocket type of sources. Concise, but very informative. ecpubs.com for the magazine series called Theosis. It's very similar to the Magnificat series in the Latin Rite Church. So there's the Byzantine Leaflet series and the Theosis magazine. In the Byzantine Leaflet series on the anointing of the sick, it says this. Since the apostles anointed many sick people with oil and cured them, and of course that's Matthew chapter 6, 13, the Christians considered blessed oil as having the divine power of healing. This is also true of the saints. St. Jerome in the 5th century, testifies that many bitten by serpents had recourse to St. Hilarion who touched their wounds with consecrated oil, and they recovered. Some of the saints used the oil from the lamps that were burning in the holy places or in front of the holy icons for the anointing of the sick. Among the ancient liturgical formularies, there is a special prayer for the anointing of the sick with the holy oil taken from the lamp, quote-unquote, holy oil taken from the lamp. St. John Chrysostom made mention of the fact that the faithful used to anoint themselves with the oil from the lamps burning in the church. Quote, many of them, Chrysostom says, who anointed themselves with this oil in faith had dispelled their diseases, unquote. In Europe, however, olive oil was a scarce commodity, so candles were used instead, even in the vigil lamps. Consequently, the oil, which was blessed at Latia, was used to anoint the faithful. The service of the Latia is usually celebrated after Vespers and the vigil of the more solemn feast days, after the special litany that asks for much mercy from God. And while the faithful sing the special verses of the Latia, the celebrant proceeds in procession to the entrance of the church. Now, the reason he goes to the entrance of the church is because this is once again an adaptation or modification of a custom for parishes that came from the monasteries and from a time when the faithful would process through the streets during the night, as I mentioned earlier. So that got truncated. It got condensed down to just processing from the narthex or the entrance of the church. So actually during the Vesper service, the priest and deacon, the faithful, will move to the back of the church. That might seem a little bit strange. Like, why are they going to the back of the church? Well, we're going to the back of the church because it's a remnant of that once long pilgrimage and procession throughout the town you know, over several blocks, stopping at certain strategic points. So it got condensed down, as many things do over time. See, a lot of things that happen liturgically, if you wonder, why do we do this or why do we do that? Or maybe you don't even wonder, but sometimes when you find out, it's very interesting to you. Many things are done because they're distillations of what was done in a much more comprehensive, elaborate, fuller style centuries ago. But because of pastoral needs, The church is always able to modify its practices without losing the essence of them. So the essence of the once great procession on the vigil feast through the streets is preserved in this litia custom at Vespers by moving to the back of the church. The deacon says a litany. He says a very lengthy prayer in which he calls upon the intercession of so many saints. And then the priest also repeats that prayer in a very similar way, Again, calling upon the intercession of many, many saints, just about any kind of saint or type of saint you can imagine. We mention many of them by name, not all of them, but many of them by name. And then there is what we call the stichita, or the special verses that are dogmatic hymns, very characteristic of the Eastern churches and their liturgy, where they sing about the meaning of the theology, the theological significance of the particular feast. These are always very 
poetically done using a lot of use of paradox and great, great kind of literary devices, and they're sung to a traditional chant. Then the priest and the deacon and the faithful move forward as if they're coming back or you know, entering from the pilgrimage, the, the procession, as they did long ago. They would move forward to a little table in the front of the church called the tetrapod, which just basically means four-sided edifice, four-sided object. It's a table. And at that table, which stands in front of the icon screen, in other words, out in front of the sanctuary in Byzantine churches, there is a tray called the Latia tray in which there is, it's a decorative tray in which there is the bread, the wine, the wheat, and the oil, along with an icon of that particular feast day. And the priest or deacon will incense around that tetrapod three times. He'll go around there incensing from each side, the four sides, but three times. While the people sing the specific verse, numbers called Troparion, of that particular feast. And after that, the priest blesses the wheat, the wine, the oil, and then continues with the rest of the service. And then he can distribute that bread if he wishes. But as I mentioned, most of the time in parishes, that bread is blessed again, made perhaps for the first time in a parish, on Sunday at the end of liturgy. And the people come forward, they receive that blessed bread, and they are anointed with the holy oil. When he anoints the persons with the holy oil, the priest will say, Christ is among us. One of the many greetings of the Eastern Church that we give to each other, and with the greeting, there's always a response. The response is, he is and always will be. So the priest anoints the persons, now not on all senses, like the ears, the eyes, and so on, the nose, like in the anointing of the sick. Rather, he just anoints their head, their forehead. And he does so with the holy oil that has been blessed in the form of a cross, and he says, Christ is among us. And the response is, he is and always will be. Now, if the person being anointed is in major orders, they get anointed further up on the head, on the crown of the head, basically almost on the top of the head. That's only for those who are in major holy orders, such as deacon, priest, or bishop. The people come forward, they take their blessed bread, and then they exit the church, fortified with the healing balm of the blessed oil. Now, it's not exactly the anointing of the sick, but any time there is a prayer over some kind of substance in the, in the church, oil or water, and we come in communion, in communication, in contact with that substance, and do so in a form of blessing, it always has and carries with it some degree of curative value, both healing of body and soul. If nothing else, it reminds us in a very, very tactile way who we are, where we came from who the ultimate goal of our life is, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's why the priest will say, Christ is among us when he anoints the persons. The oil that is used, as I mentioned, is olive oil, but a lot of times, depending on the pastoral practice, I do it myself, the priest can add certain fragrant oils. Most of them come from the Middle East and come from monasteries. So when the people walk away, they've got the oil on their head, and they can also smell that fragrance. Sometimes if the oil is a little bit runny, if it's a little bit too much on the forehead, it runs down the forehead, a lot of people will take their prayer book and wipe it on their prayer book. And then they take the blessed bread. And that blessed bread is made of the same substance, the same basic recipe as the bread used in Holy Communion in the Byzantine Church. In other words, it's a leavened bread, so it, it rises, it's risen, it's like a regular loaf of bread, but it's made very simple. It's just flour, water, and yeast. It's a white bread, very simple. And something about that bread, little children just love it. I remember as a child growing up, this was one of the highlights of my going to church. I used to long for the day when 
gee, we're going to have Midovania today and then that getting that wonderful bread because you'd come up there and be anointed and you'd get that real tasty bread. In fact, sometimes in my church, by the time I've anointed everybody, I go to the bread bowl and there's not a single morsel left for me, especially all the children. I've gobbled it up. <laughs> and I've, I've, I jokingly made a comment, a point about that one time in, in liturgy. I did not chastise anybody. I just sort of made a, a, a tongue-in-cheek comment about it. And lo and behold, ever since then, one of the children of my parish always, always saves me a little piece of bread. <laughs> so Father Tom is not left out. <laughs> so these are all little wonderful customs that unite a parish, unite the priest to his people, but above all, unite us to Jesus Christ. And again, this is an anointing that's not a sacrament, it is sacramental which means it still has a connection and reveals God, it unites us with God in a special way, but it's not the same thing as the sacrament of anointing, which, of course, is the quintessential sacrament of healing of both body and soul. All of these, of course, are perfected in the Eucharist, which has its own healing property. So in the Eastern churches, and especially in this time when we're looking at things like the Ebola virus and praying that it does not become too great a calamity, Hopefully, if it is God's will, we would be spared, as well as all the other maladies. We continue to pray for God's mercy, and we also avail ourselves of the sacraments and sacramental practices of the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. <laughs>